Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. We're 14 generations between Father Abraham and King David. 14 more generations between David and the Babylonian exile. And 14 generations later, the great king would be born. A 2,000-year lineage comprised of slaves and kings, heroes and adulterers, prophets and prostitutes. They were the faithful and the faithless. So what kind of king would this be? While many dreamed of the day this king would come, it began as a real-life nightmare for one man. A good man, with God's lot cast upon him. I promise you, Joseph, I am telling you the truth. I'm not saying you don't believe it. I'm just saying... I don't know if I do. So, what are you saying? Take her as your wife. She's pregnant! I haven't been with her! The baby's not mine! Take Mary as your wife. I can't do this! I don't... I don't want to hurt her. But I... I can't. Joseph, you are a descendant of David. Your ancestors have taken great steps of faith, and now it is time for you to step out. Take Mary as your wife. But the baby is... What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It is prophecy fulfilled. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God with us. God with us. Emmanuel. Messiah. A heavenly visitation. And what was distressing became a blessing. A blessing that would challenge Joseph's faith, demand every ounce of his character, and forever alter the course of his life and yours. God with us. What? 
kind of king would this be? What kind of king would this be? And Joseph must have been wondering that as this revelation from an angel came. The scripture gives us some descriptions of what the coming king would look like. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 9 of his book, verse 6, says it this way. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The coming king would be the Prince of Peace. He would rule and reign in peace. The prophet Micah speaks of it this way in chapter 5. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. This Advent season, this morning, we light the candle of peace. For Jesus would be our peace. He would bring peace to us between God and us because of his death and his resurrection. Advent season is a a time to look forward. Advent means the expectation or the expected arrival of a, a notable person. And certainly that's what Christmas is all about. The Jews themselves looked forward to this king this coming king. But Joseph in this story, in the video you just watched, I imagine he felt anything but peace. In fact, I think he felt a lot of unrest in the situation that he found himself in suddenly. And this is what the gospel writer Matthew records in chapter 1, starting in verse 18. He says it this way, This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Joseph received some fairly significant news, big news, that was unsettling. There was anything but peace for him in the moment he found out from Mary, when she gave him this unexpected news. I often wonder if, if the, how the conversation went. You know, nowadays you put the announcement of the birth on social media, and there's some clever way that you reveal that you're pregnant to your family and to all your friends, right? Shoot videos about it. And, and how we reveal the gender now. People are baking cakes that you cut open, and it's either pink or blue. I don't even know what that means. No, I'm kidding. I do. I know what that means. What if it's green, though? What if the baker makes a mistake? Anyway, so there's this revelation of the gender. I've seen people pop balloons, and that's how they find out about the gender of the baby. There's, there's all this ceremony wrapped up in the announcement uh, and the expect, expectation of the arrival. What was that conversation like for Mary and Joseph? Joseph, I've got some news for you. <laughs> you might want to sit down for this one, right? I mean... She herself must have been somewhat nervous, but walking by faith, she delivers this news to Joseph. And the Bible describes Joseph as a righteous man. When he discovers Mary's pregnancy, I I think he naturally assumes 
something else has been going on. Like we discussed last week, it's hard to imagine that Mary would have made up such a story. One, because it's on its surface preposterous without faith. But two, because the consequences of being unfaithful to him could have meant her death. This would have brought shame to not only her, but to also to Joseph. He was called a righteous man, and Matthew does not imply that he was in any way perfect. But he was law-abiding. He had upright character. He was generally obedient and faithful to God's commandments. And in this moment, he finds himself pledged to be married, engaged. But it was more than what we think of engagement, an exchange of a ring and a promise, and, and someday we'll get married. This was a legal binding contract. There were consequences if it were to be broken. Even to divorce her wasn't going to be simple, but he felt it was the right thing to do. Not just the right thing, but the obligated thing, the tradition, the expected thing to do was to divorce her. But what I find interesting about Joseph is he's not just concerned about doing what's right. He's also concerned about doing things in a right manner. He wants to do it in the right way. Jewish law typically required that a man would divorce a woman who's been found to be unfaithful. And so he decides to settle it quietly, or a better translation would be privately. He doesn't want to bring shame to her. He doesn't want to endanger her in any way. There is a sense that he deeply loves her and is concerned for her well-being. So he doesn't see that he has an option other to handle this in a quiet fashion. But God has another plan. Aren't you grateful that when we don't see a way, God makes a way? Where there seems to be no possibility, God makes the possibilities. And here in this moment, God speaks to Joseph through an angel, a dream, to give him that option. God has his own reveal, dramatically revealing his plan to Joseph. We find ourselves in verse 20 of the first chapter of Matthew. As Joseph considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. An angel appears to Joseph in this dream and makes this announcement. I love how in the the setup of the Christmas story, whether it was Zachariah who we talked about a couple weeks ago or or Mary last week, God is using a supernatural way to announce the arrival of his son Jesus, the, the announcement of his plan to save the world. And the angel greets Joseph. It's almost a typical greeting, but I, I want to draw your attention to something. If, if you've noticed throughout Scripture, when angels appear to humans, there is a typical thing they lead with. Don't be afraid, right? We see this in Zechariah. We see this in Mary. We see this throughout the Old Testament. When an angel appears, they must be coming in a form that is very scary, that they have to say, hey, chill, it's okay. But here in this dream, the angel doesn't 
tell Joseph not to be afraid of him. He says, don't be afraid of Mary, or rather, (laughs) don't be afraid of Mary. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. No man should be afraid of a woman. Okay. I, I heard how I said it in my head there just a second. He shouldn't be afraid to take Mary as his wife. The baby to be born was to be a descendant of David. And, David, and Joseph shouldn't be afraid to take Mary as a, his wife. I, I wonder if hidden beneath all of this, Joseph is really motivated by fear. I, I think he wants to do what's right, but, but isn't a lot of what we do based on fear, the things we don't do based on fear? And here the angel addresses an underlying emotion, fear. He says, Joseph, don't be afraid. You think Joseph on some level felt like the fifth wheel? Like, well... Mary doesn't need me now, right? I mean, God God did all this. What does he need me for? I'm just kind of along for the ride. I maybe felt inadequate to care for the Son of God. I mean, where do you even start? Maybe he was frustrated that life suddenly took a turn that he hadn't foreseen. He hadn't planned this. This this wasn't in his 10-year goals. Suddenly he finds himself in a weird situation. I like how the angel greets him too. It's not just, don't be afraid. He actually addresses Joseph in another way that I think is worth noting. The angel says, Joseph, son of David. Now, if you read the lineage, Joseph is not the son of David. But that wasn't the point the angel was trying to make. The point the angel was trying to make was, The son you're going to bear will come from the line of David as foretold by the prophets. And this would be important, that the king to be came from the line of David. And so here the the angel addresses Joseph, you are the son of David. All that has been done previously has led up to this moment. The Messiah, the king would be from the line of David, from both sides of the family, both from Mary who would give birth biologically to Jesus as well as the legal father. Yes, Joseph would become the legal father of Jesus. Mary was a descendant of David through the lineage as recorded in Luke. And here, Jesus would be from the line of David through Joseph as recorded by Matthew. And Joseph would legally be Jesus's, did I get that right? Jesus would be Joseph's legal son because Joseph would name him. And therefore, Jesus would be a legal throne to the heir of David. This is all setting up this announcement that Jesus was truly indeed the Messiah. And so the angel says, son of David, don't be afraid. Take Mary as your wife. Whatever Joseph was feeling at this moment, whether it was a a, a great sense of responsibility because he's carrying on this, this line of David or the fear that he was feeling, the Bible addresses what he does immediately upon waking up. In verse 24, it says, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born 
And Joseph named him Jesus. You see, in this moment, we see what we talked about last week. Faith is the fertile soil for God to birth the impossible. Joseph, upon waking, acted by faith, not tradition. In fact, he broke the tradition. He, he broke the engagement period and married her. He didn't divorce her, so he broke that tradition as well. And what I love in this moment that I see written between the lines of Joseph's, Joseph's action is this immediate and unreserved obedience to what he felt God was saying. He did not have complete understanding, and yet he obeyed. I know for me, sometimes I want complete understanding. Anybody else like that? I, I got to see the whole picture. God, what, what do you have in mind? Because I, I want to know if I agree with where you're going, and then I give you permission and all that good stuff. Joseph has immediate and uh, immediate response, unreserved. Whatever fear he had, he didn't let that feeling guide his faith, but he let his faith guide his feelings. And he would respond and act in faith. He would risk the humiliation and his reputation in this moment. He would raise Jesus as his own son. He would play a vital role in Jesus' life. And he legally named him Jesus. The name Jesus, there's something special about that name. Even in Jewish history, the Hebrew name would be Joshua or Yeshua, which means God saves us. And Joshua is an important character in the Old Testament, especially to the Israelites. It would remind the Jewish people of the one who led the Israelites into the promised land. The one for which the battles were fought in Joshua's words, don't worry about the enemy. The Lord has gone before us. He is with us. There was this name, Jesus, that meant something deep to the people of Israel. And Jesus' name would remind them of that. Joseph gets what the angel is saying in this moment. I, I think it's important to understand that the information being told to Jesus or to Joseph about Jesus isn't necessarily new information. Joseph knew the stories. He knew the expected Messiah was to come at some point. He didn't know how it would all play out. But I often wonder in this moment, is he kind of adding this all up going, oh, wait, okay. This revelation is just adding to the information he's already learned as a small child about the coming Messiah. He makes the connection of Jesus to that expectation, the Savior. It's important to understand that Jews Jews cherished and celebrated uh, what we call prospective theology. Uh, According uh, to their belief, they looked forward to what was going to come. Eschatology is part of our theology of which we base our uh, beliefs on uh, death and judgment and and the uh, final destiny of the soul of mankind, kind of what is going to happen in the end. And the Jews believed that their Savior, their Messiah was coming. It was always this looking forward. It was prospective. Compare that to the Roman culture they lived in that was retrospective eschatology. They believed they had arrived. They were in the golden days, and everything then was viewed from that moment backwards. They looked back, celebrated We have arrived, right? You know anybody like that? Their life is all about that moment and 
how they got there. But the Jews, they looked forward. I think this is what enabled them to get through the slavery in Egypt as recorded in the Bible. The exile in Babylon. They had an understanding that their story was going somewhere. That God was still authoring their lives. N.T. Wright says it this way. Jews looked forward from within a decidedly ungolden age and longing and praying fervently for freedom, justice, and peace that they were convinced were theirs by right. God would do it. It It was going to happen at last. And you see this in the Jewish traditions, in the stories that they told, in the songs that they sung, in the prayers that they prayed. Their national and religious festivals were heavy with hope and longing for peace. There was symbolism. And there wasn't just a general sense of this. There was very specific sense that God was going to do something. It was specific in the prophecies. Though they didn't know exactly what it meant, they had conjured up images, which is why in some regard they were disappointed in Jesus because he wasn't the conquering king in the way they had fashioned in their mind and that he didn't come and kick Rome out of Israel. But there was an understanding, there was an expectation that God was on the move and they would wait for him. God would deliver them again, just like the exodus in Egypt. God would deliver them at some point. I wonder if this is what got many Jews through the Holocaust, was this expectation of the Messiah, that tyrants could do their worst and yet their God would deliver them. Their God would save. Joseph gets this. Joseph in this moment gets that he is becoming part of the story. And like Mary, I I have to think he's like, I don't believe I get to play part of this story. And what I like about Matthew and his gospel writing is he ties Jesus to the prophecy, Emmanuel. Jesus means God saves us. Emmanuel means God with us. And Matthew ties these two things together. And no parent in their right mind would name their kid Emmanuel. Because in that day, it would be like naming your kid Savior, Messiah. I mean, I get it if you want to name your kid Champ or Sport or whatever. But nobody calls their kid Savior. But they named him Jesus. God saves us. Emmanuel wasn't a new concept for them. Understand that the Jews, this was not a new concept. This was not new information. But the revelation was new. That God was doing it in a way that was so unexpected. They knew the meaning of Emmanuel from the writings of the Old Testament. Woven throughout all of the Bible is that expectation that God was with us. This is why Zechariah, Mary, Joseph... Elizabeth, all the players in the story, they, they knew this expectation was there. It was deeply rooted in their mind. And Matthew knew, but Matthew, the writer of this gospel, is writing to a Jewish audience. He was playing and writing to that audience. He writes about this, and I think he knows that they're going to pick up on the nuances and references because of their education. 
Matthew, in fact, if you read throughout his book, references Emmanuel, not just here at the beginning, but think back to Matthew 28, the last chapter, verse 20, one of the last verses. What are Jesus' last words to his disciples? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see how Matthew bookends everything he writes on the basis of Emmanuel? And he ties Jesus right to it. You can't miss it. The fact that two names, Jesus and Emmanuel, are coupled in Matthew's Christmas story was meant to draw the Jews' attention back to that Old Testament, the stories of rescue, of Egypt, of Babylon. And Yeshua, Jesus, would rescue his people, finally. Greater than Egypt, because he would save people from their sin, from death, and from hell. This is what the angel says, for he will save the people from themselves, from their sin. And Jesus would save better than the exile from Babylon, because no longer longer would we be exiled in our own hearts and our own minds from God. And he would be a better savior than saving the people from Rome and their oppression, for he would save us from our own oppressive thoughts, our self-serving religion and our self-made righteousness. That is the meaning of Yeshua. God saves us. So we too should have a prospective eschatology. Our faith should be looking forward, right? I think about the dark times in my life and maybe you're going through some sort of trial, some sort of hard situation that you, you just don't know how to get through. And I think about we referenced it in the video earlier. Uh, one of the reasons we do home for Christmas is because we know how hard the holidays can be after losing a loved one. And I think about those dark moments after losing our son. And it was the faith of looking forward, knowing that God was still and would always be at work. He wasn't just a God that would save from a distance or save eventually, and that some, somehow in the future there'd be a reality of who he was. But it was the reality that in that moment of pain, he was with us. That's the eschatology that we need to have, one that looks forward, that God is still and always at work, that there's a plan and a purpose to what he is doing, that he's still writing your story, that whatever circumstance you find yourself in right now, he hasn't let you go. He didn't forget about you. He didn't leave you to figure it out, but he is with you. And maybe as you step out in faith, as maybe like Joseph, you take that next step by faith. You act obediently, unreservedly, and immediately just following Jesus, whatever it is, you will experience him in a supernatural way. I believe God saves us ultimately from sin, but from ourselves, from the hopeless despair that that drags us down from our situations. This morning, I don't know where you are, But I think some of you identify with that need for peace, that need for Jesus to come into your situation, to be Emmanuel, 
God with us, to be Yeshua, God saves us. And maybe for some of you, it's taking that first step of faith to proclaim Jesus as Lord of your life, to be Savior of your life. And I want to do that in this moment. Would you, in this holy moment, church, close your eyes and bow your heads? There's two things I want to pray for. I want to pray first for those of you who want to take that step of faith to trust Jesus with your life, to believe that he is who he says he is. That you would trust him by faith in this life and for the one to come, looking forward that he will be the author of your life story that's you this morning in just a second I'm going to ask you to raise your hand I'm not going to point you out or embarrass you but I'm going to pray with you and the whole church is going to pray with you in this moment as you take that step of faith when I count to three would you raise your hand say Pastor Jeremy I want to pray that prayer with you today I want to believe believe and begin that journey of faith one two three would you lift your hands all over this room thank you I see your hand back here anybody else Anybody else? Thank you. I see your hand back there. Anybody else? Thank you. I see you over here. Anybody else? Anybody else? Then church, let's pray with all those who raised their hands this morning, that prayer of faith. Would you repeat after me out loud this prayer? Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to live the perfect life that I could not live. He suffered in my place and he died on the cross to pay my sin debt. But thank you that he rose again to give me new life and peace. I receive that today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And I want to pray for those of you in this moment who are needing that peace. Maybe it's a a new level of faith to trust God as you take that next step, as scary as it might be. With your eyes still closed all around this room, would you just lift your hand with me? And and I'm going to pray for myself as well and for you to bring peace to your situation. Maybe it's revelation of how he's using you and what your next step is. All over this room, let's raise our hands. Father, I trust you in the name of Jesus to bring your peace to these situations, to bring revelation and wisdom, whether it's in relationships or finances or job situations, Father, that you would bring a new level of faith to trust you. As we raise our hands, we acknowledge that you and you alone are the one who can intervene and interrupt in our situations. Would you show yourself faithful and true? We trust you in the name of Jesus. Church, I want to add one more prayer this morning just got a note that there were several bombings are these immediate are these right now in the last little bit okay there's a bombing in Nigeria 60 plus people were killed a bombing in Egypt a, ki- a Christian gathering where 25 believers were killed and of course the bombing in, in Turkey about a day ago, two bombings in Turkey. The Prince of Peace can reign in our hearts even when it doesn't look like this world will ever come back together. 
you believe that at the end of all this, God will be revealed as true, as a true Prince of Peace? Let's make that our prayer. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We believe you are the Prince of Peace. And though this world doesn't grasp it, and though and though at every corner it seems that the enemy tries to disrupt, tries to dissuade people from trusting in you and brings death and destruction, we trust you. And right now in this moment, as people are suffering, would you reveal yourself in a power and supernatural way in Nigeria, in Egypt, in Turkey, all around this world, Father, as people are are clamoring for hope and for truth, would you speak in ways, supernatural ways, that their minds and hearts can see and believe. We pray for the goodwill of those people of those countries. Would you cause those of, uh, of righteousness and justice to rise up? Would you bring peace where there seems to be no way? We trust you, Jesus. Would you protect your church and her people all around this world? Would you cause the light to shine even brighter in those dark situations? As people of faith continue to proclaim your name, Jesus. Jesus. We, your church, stand with our brothers and sisters in Christ all over this world today. And even those who are not of faith, Father, we pray in this moment, your truth would be revealed. Their hearts would be drawn to you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Church, I want to show you one last video for our box of love. As we prepare to give in just a few minutes, Pastor Karis is going to come up and, and talk a little bit about box of love and the offering this morning. But we wanted to share with you one more story uh, about box of love and how it's benefiting people right here at our church through your compassion and through this family called C2 Church. Watch this video. My name is Winter. And this is my wife, Jane. We moved to Columbia about three and a half years ago. We moved here from Massachusetts. We have five kids. Five kids. Ranging from 18 to two. What brought us to Columbia, as our family was increasing in size, like I wanted to move closer to my parents. When we first moved back to Columbia, like we didn't, it was hard for us to find work. <laughs> and so it just, more things kept piling on us as we tried to live. And um, we, we are very thankful that we have Financial Peace University um, to attend that class because it helped us know where we need to be financially and work towards goals so we could um, move on in our future. We um, uh, tried out two other churches and uh, then we came here. I felt like people were more open to meeting strangers and they were shaking my hand even though they didn't know me and that was a huge, huge thing for me. And so that's kind of what I'm, kind of everybody had their own experience in our family with C2 and that was my experience which kind of tipped us over to, to stay. And our kids liked the children's ministry and our daughter Violet, she really enjoyed the youth group. So when we're talking to our family about it, we were... Um, that's what we were listening to because we really wanted our family to be involved in church and God knows what needs to happen and even though I wanted to know God give me the plan exactly how you want us to 
work um, while we're in Colombia. I think God's moving even when I didn't see it. I really feel like God was, was using the church, was using his people and um, you know, partnering with them to bless us. He definitely um, answers in ways that you don't expect it. Or me, I'm always thinking about our finances and like how we're going to provide. And typically this time of the year, has, it's hard for us to provide for a family um, at the end of the year. Yeah, she, nobody asks us, no one's talked to us about how we're doing financially, but I was so thankful that I, I felt like, God, you see what we need and you continue to provide for us again. Even if I don't say nothing, you know, like our hearts and and you, you provide for us in that way. And of course this morning, we're just gonna be excited to get gifts where I wouldn't, like I already talked to Mr. about like this Christmas, we're not gonna do much with the kids because we just, we just don't have enough funds for that. And to provide for all five of our kids is, is very difficult. But I know that I felt like, well, our kids, no matter what they got, they would be thankful for what they have because um, they're used to not having a lot, <laughs> a lot of times. So they would be thankful for whatever gift that they got to play with. It definitely feels special when you, you're, you're chosen to be blessed. family I can call you I can call you family right you're my family yes okay I, are you asking them or telling them? I I'm casting a vision okay. of you are my family um, I really want to thank you say a very big thank you for the ways that you have um, blessed our community this is the second year that we are doing Christmas box of love and last year um, in the past couple of weeks you've seen last year how last year we've blessed families in our uh, community welcome them into even to our country in this city and then this year um, for four families we are you're making a big difference, and I want to say thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your love, for blessing people, going above and beyond. And even myself, in many ways, have felt really loved. My family lives thousands and thousands of miles away. It takes a whole day of you know flying to see them. And in so many ways, you have taken me in, too. And I, I feel like Christmas Box of Love is a way to kind of amplify that love and that uh, lavishing generosity that we have here at church to this, the, the families that we have um, adopted. So thank you. Thank you for loving them. Thank you for blessing them. Thank you for making a difference and making an impact. Thank you for making people feel special and for making their Christmas even more joyful and more special. Thank you so much. These are four deserving families, none of whom uh, we approached them. They didn't come to us. We we as family just kind of knew their situations and, and wanted to bless them. And so this morning as you give, uh, you can give in the buckets as they as they come around. Uh, volunteers, if you'd come forward. You can give online, c2church.com slash box. You can give all week. You don't have to give today. Uh, but if you do have one of the gift tags, maybe you've taken one of those gift tags in the last uh, couple weeks, uh, would you make sure you get that gift back to the church by Wednesday? Um, if, if you aren't able to, that's fine. But get the gift tag back to us as well so we can make sure that gift gets filled. Uh, there's a few more tags left on the tree, I think. So if you want to do that between now and Wednesday, that'd be great. You can take a, a tag or two as well, make it a family affair as you, you shop for those gifts. You can bring them back unwrapped. All the money that you give uh, this morning and, and 
over the next week will go directly to Boxelov uh, to benefit these four families. Would you let me pray a blessing over you and, and our gifts as we give together as a family this morning? Father, in the name of Jesus, would you receive the meager gifts that we give? And they're really just meager, Father, because compared to the riches that you've bestowed on us, You've called us your children when we were so unworthy. You bestowed the gift of salvation before we even came to you. Uh, You've provided for us in so many ways. And so we just give back to you, knowing that you'll take it and multiply it to bless these families. Not just to bless them, but to cause them to be a blessing uh, to all the people around them who know their story, to see your faithfulness in action. Would you bless them? Would you bless each gift and each giver today as we demonstrate that your love has taken hold of our heart and now you see where our treasure is as we give back to you as we become more like Jesus. It's in that name we pray. Amen. Would you give this morning and worship as the band leads us in one more song. Hey, we're so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information, please email us at nextsteps at c2church.com or visit us at c2church.com.